Well, once again, good morning, FEC family. Great to see you. Uh, great to be with you today. Um, if you're new with us today, uh, maybe here in person, joining us online, uh, we're grateful that you're here. My name is James, um, and I serve as one of the pastors here uh, at Freedom Village. Um, well, as most of you know, uh, I just said it as well in the mid-service here, but we are right in the middle uh, of a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting um, as a gathering. Uh, today is actually uh, day seven of this, and so uh, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're, 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 you're doing well in this season. I hope you're finding your time uh, with the Lord to be fruitful uh, and that you are staying persistent and, and diligent in whatever form of fasting uh, that you've chosen to partake in in this, in this season. Uh, and maybe you're here uh, today, maybe you're, you're new or, or you're, you're part of this gathering, and for whatever reason, because life happens, um, you haven't even started um, uh, or, or maybe you started, um, you're all gung-ho, you downloaded the, the prayer guide and the fasting guide, you, you got into it, you did day one, you're like, this is it, this is where it changes, I'm going to become a person of prayer, and then day two, uh, day two happens, and you weren't there, right? Um, you've sort of fallen off this, this path, and so let me just encourage you, um, before I even get into God's word today, let me encourage you to just get back up, uh, to go to God today, start today. Um, and, and spend time with him. Uh, find someone, again, find someone who can help you uh, to make it through uh, the rest of this season that we're in together. Um, as um, Sheila was mentioning here, even about being in missional family, it's a, it's a game changer um, to have people um, in your life who are accountable for your life, not as to help you follow rules or to go through some ritual or some religion, but they're actually genuinely concerned about your life. They love you, they care for you, and they know what's best for you, and that's being in a deep, intimate relationship with the Lord. And so because they care about that, they'll hold you accountable in this season. That's a game changer, particularly when it comes to, I think, prayer. And maybe for some of you, you're finding uh, fasting. Um, some of you, I've heard, um, have, have been attempting uh, to fast in a different uh, shape or form for the first time, and uh, your those hunger pains that happen when you miss a meal are starting to kick in. What is this, right? Um, it's a new spiritual discipline for you. Again, keep going, uh, keep staying in, encouraged. Uh, know that um, as a leadership team, certainly we are praying for you. I am personally praying for you um, each and every day um, of the season as well. That you've been, you would be strengthened in the Lord. All right. Well. Um, on top of that, if you were here with us last week, uh, you know that we also started a new sermon series um, that is centered around our word for 2022, um, which is the word fulfilled, okay? The word fulfilled. Um, and the ultimate meaning of this, or, or perhaps I, I could say it this way, our, our, my hope in this season is that we would become people, that we would become a church that is fully satisfied, content, fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, regardless of the, the mountain, uh, the valley, uh, the highs and the lows uh, that we face. Um, and in that, uh, last week our focus uh, was John chapter 6, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
Uh, You remember the story. Jesus miraculously feeds uh, thousands and thousands of people one evening. Uh, The Bible tells us that he feeds uh, people bread and fish. He's multiplying it again and again until their bellies were filled full. And then the next day, uh, the crowds, liking that feeling of being full, uh, they follow after him. They chase after Jesus. They're looking for more bread, looking to have their physical needs met. And Jesus looks at them and says to them, all right, you're here for bread, physical bread, but you need to know something. I am the bread of life. In other words, he says to them, true satisfaction, true fulfillment is not found in physical food or anything else in this world for that matter, but in me. Come to me, he says, be with me and you'll find true life. See, we know this, um, whether you, you know it or not, in us, we know, we know that we all want joy. Right? We all want satisfaction. We all want to be full. We have that need. And in Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, we find the solution to that need. Well, now today, uh, we're going to continue in this teaching of finding true satisfaction, finding ultimate fulfillment. And to do that, uh, we're going back to Jesus uh, and a portion of his teaching and perhaps uh, his most famous sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, If you're not familiar uh, with the Gospels, or specifically the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, or the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we call it the Beatitudes, Jesus here is teaching people, uh, those who are following him, he's teaching them how to be blessed, um, how to find true happiness, how to find joy uh, to the full. And, and basically here, he, he tells his listeners that, that blessing, lasting joy, belongs to those who follow the ways of the kingdom of God. That happiness belongs to people who both follow Jesus, but who also live like Jesus. Uh, he, he says it this way. Uh, let's read it from the beginning again, just so we get our main passage in the context. Um, I know we just read it, but let's do it one more time. Okay? Matthew chapter 5, he says this. Seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, here it is. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then our main text for today, the entirety of the sermon is focused on this verse. Verse 6 says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Another translation, maybe you have it in front of you, says, shall be filled, for they shall be filled. So we talked about this last week, this, this truth that we all have a need, that we are in need. We desire happiness. We want meaning and purpose in life. We want joy. We want satisfaction. And so here is Jesus, and he tells the crowd, listening to his teaching, it's amazing actually, he says, I'm offering you happiness. That's essentially what he's saying in this little sermon. Let me show you now, listen to me, and I'm going to show you how to get it. And his words here are, um, 
there's no better way to say that. They're, they're extreme. They're, they're totally countercultural. They're radical. He says, okay, you want joy. You want happiness. You want blessing in your life. Okay, then you must be poor in spirit. He says, you have to mourn over your sin. You need to rid yourself of pride. You need to live a submissive life. You need to be strong. It's strong, but meek. That's what he says. That, uh, that's what it looks like to obtain satisfaction in life. That's what it looks like to belong to Jesus. And then we see in our passage for today, Jesus says that if you want to be blessed, if you desire fulfillment, if you want to be fulfilled, then you must hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. And so let's talk about that, finding satisfaction. We know already, we talked about it last week, the answer. The answer is in him, the bread of life, right? But let's go a little bit deeper into this this week. And so first of all, and we're going to ask three questions. And the first question that we're going to ask that comes straight out of this text, I believe, is what does it mean to hunger and thirst? Um, if you were reading this passage for the very first time, and I told you that you could have happiness to the full, you could have full satisfaction, you just got to figure out what this verse means, probably the first question you would ask is, what does it mean to hunger and thirst? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. All right, so the words hunger and, and thirst, um, they're actually very strong. They're very powerful here. They actually have this idea to them of suffering. Okay? So literally, this is to suffer from hunger and to suffer from thirst. That's what Jesus is saying. And this is not just an expression or, or something superficial. This is a deep, a deep hunger and, and a deep thirst. And, and to be honest, you know, I was thinking about this this, this week as I'm studying this passage uh, again I think this is extremely difficult for us to understand, particularly those of us here living in Seoul, South Korea, or around Seoul, right? Because we really, we think we do at times, but we don't know what it is to be hungry, right? We don't know what it really means to thirst. Like when we think of thirsty, we think of going outside on a hot summer day like July in in Korea, walking around the park for a little bit, and then wanting a drink. You're like, oh, I'm I'm really thirsty. But I would guess none of us here, none of us here knows what it is to suffer in terms of actually having no water available to you for days. And and when we we think of hunger, what do we mean when we say we're hungry? We mean, well, it's 1 p.m. in the afternoon, and lunchtime is usually 12 I'm starving. And then you start, you know, you have attitude. You start getting mean, hangry, right? Because you're so hungry, right? But we have, we have no idea what it truly means to be hungry, right? We, we don't know what it is to go without food. And the reason I know that, even in fasting, um, uh, when you're in the season right now, like right now I'm doing um, breakfast, no snacks at all. So there's dinner and then the next uh, the next thing I have is, is, is lunch. And even in the morning, I'm like, oh, I'm so hungry. And then I'm back to this verse. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not hungry. I don't know what it is to, to hunger. This isn't, a, this isn't a sacrifice. I could do more. At least that's been my heart in this season. Um, but 
this is what Jesus is getting at. Uh, that there's this strong desire or, or this passion for the thing that I need. There's a sense of desperation in this text. I am suffering from hunger. I am suffering from thirst. And of course, we, we know that in general, right? Desire, passion, ambition, right? It can be both a good and a bad thing, right? That there are lots of things that people strive for, pursue, and have a passion for that are good and just. And then there are a lot of other ambitions that are wrong, right? That are worldly, uh, that are self-centered, right? For example, you know, Lucifer, uh, who we, know, we, know, we now more commonly call Satan, right? He was perhaps God's most glorious creation, uh, the, the Bible basically states that he was one of the most wonderful things that God had ever made. But Lucifer um, had a strong, consuming desire and ambition to build his own kingdom, to be like God or to be God. His ambition was to be God. So he was hungry, but he was power hungry. Or I think of the people at Babel, uh, and they have a strong desire within them. They have ambition, passion as well. Look at what it says of them in Genesis 11. They actually say this amongst themselves. It says this, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and butamen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, here it is, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And so, whereas we saw that Lucifer, Satan, was power hungry, we see that the people at Babel were praise hungry, right? They desired for glory. They wanted their names to be great. They wanted honor. And just one more example, in Luke chapter 12, we meet someone known um, as the rich fool, Can you imagine, like in all of history, that's just what you're known as, the rich fool. No name, just the rich fool. I encourage you to read the story in Luke 12, but essentially what we see is this this man, he's storing up treasures for himself. He's hoarding his wealth for the purpose of his own satisfaction. He had ambition, okay, strong desire, a hunger, but what was that hunger? What was about possession? He was possession hungry. And perhaps there are more of these throughout the scriptures, but honestly, these are at the core of most of the world's desires and ambitions. A hunger for power, a hunger for praise, a hunger for possession. You can almost boil all of sin down to those three things, by the way. A hunger for power, a hunger for praise, and a hunger for possession. So there is wrong, right? There is a, a wrong worldly hunger an evil desire, uh, evil passions. But again, desire, ambition, and passion can be good if it's used for the right thing. After all, we were created to desire, to hunger. And that's what's seen here in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, actually, I want you to be hungry. I want you to be thirsty. But for what? Look again. Blessed 
joyful are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So get this. We, we know, we know that food and water are essential for life. Right? They are necessities. You can't live without food and water. But now Jesus says it's the same thing with righteousness. You cannot live, at least eternally, spiritually, without righteousness. Actually, you need righteousness, just like you need food and water. It isn't wrong to hunger. It isn't wrong to thirst. Those are normal things. Again, I just said it. Common desires. We are naturally driven towards those things, and so it is with righteousness. You know, it's really, it's really an amazing statement from Jesus. We need righteousness to live. And by the way, uh, by the way, the language here, um, it's continuous. Okay, there's a lot that's going on in this verse, actually. Um, I won't get too nerdy here, but this here, it's known as a continuous present participle in Greek. Okay? Um, again, you can ignore that. Right? All it means is this, that this action should be ongoing. It should be a continuous thing. And so Jesus is actually saying, I want you, blessed is the person who's continually hungry. Blessed is the person who is continually thirsty. Blessed is the person who desires more and more righteousness. Those who want more and more of Jesus. And, and don't, get, don't get confused by what I'm about to say. Okay, I'll, I'll explain. But Jesus is actually saying here, if you want satisfaction... Don't be satisfied. Okay, so let me give you an example. Let's think of Moses. Okay, we know that Moses, um, try to wrap your mind around this, Moses had actually seen God. Okay? Actually, multiple times he sees God, and in different ways. The first time, and we mentioned this briefly last week, he sees God in a burning bush. He literally sees the glory of God blazing in this bush. And God says to him, audibly speaks to Moses. He says, take off your shoes before you approach me. Take off your shoes, Moses, for you're standing on holy ground. I'm here. I'm present with you. And later on, we know that Moses sees the hand of the Lord. He sees the hand of God. He sees all these miracles, right? All these plagues as God is freeing the Israelites from Egypt. Moses is an eyewitness to all of it. He sees the parting of the Red Sea. The people walk on dry land. And then beyond that, okay, beyond that, we also know that he saw God regularly as he and the Israelites wandered through the desert, through the wilderness. Moses was beyond privileged, honored, to see God again and again and again in his life. Uh, But you know something? You know something about Moses? It was never enough for him. It was never enough. With all that he saw, with all that he experienced, it was never enough. Imagine, right? Moses actually saw God as a a flaming finger come down from heaven that scratches the law of God, we know as the Ten Commandments, on tables of stone. And yet, 
And yet, when Moses comes down from the mountain that day, after that encounter, what was his response? Do you remember? He says this, God, show me your glory. He had just been with God in the presence of the Lord, and yet his response is, show me your glory. And we know Moses would go up and down the mountain, right? Again and again, so that he could experience God, so that he could see the glory of God. The Bible tells us he would go up, show me your glory. God would give him a glimmer. Moses would be like shining, right? Because of being like the presence of God in his life, he'd go down the mountain, be with the people. The the glory of God would sort of diminish from him and he'd go back up for more. Again and again and again, it was the patterns of his life. Back and forth. Why? Because it was never enough. It was never enough. Never. This is what he literally says. What Moses literally says in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. Moses says this. He's talking to God. He says, please. Again, he says it. It means I beg you. Literally, it means I beg you. I beg of you, God, show me your glory. And we see this hunger with many others in the scriptures as well. But I I think of the apostle Paul. Paul knew so much about the Lord. In his lifetime, we know he had personal visions of Jesus. His first encounter with Jesus is a personal vision. He he got called up to heaven, the New Testament tells us. We know he pens, influenced by the Holy Spirit, He pens the majority of the New Testament. He was so close to the Lord, so full of the Holy Spirit. What more could he want? But listen to the cry of his heart in Philippians 3, chapter, excuse me, Philippians 3, verse 10. He says this, oh, that I may know him. What? Don't you already know him? You know him better than I think the majority of us, but that's the cry of sorrow. Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. In other words, what he knew about God wasn't enough. It was never enough. And why? Why? Because people who belong to Jesus, who have been satisfied, fulfilled in Christ, are always hungry for more. They're never satisfied. They are continually thirsty for more of the Lord, longing for more of what he and only he can provide, what he can give. That's what it means to hunger and to thirst. It's a desperation. It's a passion. It's a desire to go over the thing that you believe, you're convinced that you need and you see as good. I know we've already hinted around the answer, but that leads to our second question then that comes out of the text, and that is, what is this righteousness then that we are to hunger and thirst for? What is this righteousness? What is righteousness? You know, it's interesting. Uh, we've been saying uh, throughout the last, you know, I guess a week um, in this series that we all want to find joy. We all want to be happy, to get satisfaction. But because of that, I mean, our world knows this. The reason I, one of the reasons I know that is because our world is actually set up. It is designed to attempt to fill that need, to fill that void in your life, right? Whether it's restaurants or cafes, right? No cafe or restaurant opens is like, hey, welcome and have a decent meal. Right? Unless it's like, you know, what's that, uh, that uh, 
no, no brand? Is it no brand? Have you seen these burgers? Like the advertisement's like, come here and have an average burger. You know, that's like literally what the advertisement is. Besides that, typically it's like, come here and like have this experience, right? At least the, the good restaurants do that. I know like Gordon Ramsay just ordered up, opened up a burger restaurant in uh, Latte Tower. Um, I've heard it's booked for like two months. But anyway, you can go there and spend like $35 on a hamburger. But the, this is, that's true. It's like 31,000 won for a hamburger. Um, but what, they're, they're, what are they selling? They're selling joy to you. They're selling an experience, satisfaction. It's not like, hey, come here, eat this burger and be miserable. Right? That's not the message, right? All of life is set this way. Come drink this coffee and find some joy. Get away, right? Um, everything does this. Movies do this, right? Sports do this for us. It's entertainment, right? Disney does this. The promise, it's the it's in the name. It's the happiest place on earth. That's the goal. It's what they're trying to achieve, to make you happy. Our world is designed, it sets itself up to satisfy because it knows we have a lack of satisfaction in our life. And yet, here Jesus says, here Jesus says, I know you want happiness, fulfillment, but don't seek that in itself to find it. Instead, seek righteousness, and then you'll find what you're looking for. And so what is this righteousness then? Well, in simple terms, it means to be made right with God. It's the simplest explanation of righteousness. To be made right with God. To be in right standing with the Lord. And so right away, we see the point Jesus is making is that real happiness in life comes from being right with God. It's just that. Being satisfied, finding fulfillment, it comes when we are right with God. That's what Jesus says here. And and further, we know that this word righteousness, it actually points us to two things. First of all, salvation And second of all, sanctification. So let's talk about that just briefly for a minute. Somebody who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, first of all, seeks salvation. And this is the righteousness that comes when you believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. It's the person that sees their sin, sees their rebellion, sees themselves rightly as separated from the holy God. They know that they are broken. And so they are mournful and they are meek. And then in that, they seek forgiveness in the only one who can give forgiveness. That person, the Bible is clear, is saved. Actually, in many Old Testament passages, and we won't take the time to go through all of these, so you just have to trust me. Uh, But Uh, In many Old Testament passages, righteousness is actually synonymous with salvation. The two words go hand in hand. We see this perhaps most with Isaiah. And and that's because righteousness is the gift of God that comes with salvation. There's no, uh, you can't separate the two. When you are saved, you are declared righteous. And so going back to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus actually, and rightfully, he could have said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after salvation. He could have said that. So you want to be happy, you want to be fulfilled, hunger for salvation, hunger to be saved, hunger to have your sins forgiven. 
And until you and I, listen, until you and I are flat on our face, humbled, hungering and thirsting, thirsting for this righteousness that we cannot gain on our own, we'll never know what it is to be truly satisfied in this life. Now, uh, let me also say this. Uh, we know that Jesus was sharing this teaching, this sermon with a lot of Jewish people who thought that they were righteous. Right? They thought, they were going around and they thought, well, I'm a righteous person, a righteous person. See, to them, to them, being righteous meant following all the rules. It was an external thing. That's why Jesus says later in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, just at the end of this little beatitude, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus was making the point that their righteousness was not enough. He's saying, you think you're righteous, but your righteousness has to exceed that of the righteousness that you're capable of having. It's not enough. That only the righteousness that comes from Christ will satisfy, will fulfill. We need to desire his salvation. We need to be hungry for his salvation, his righteousness. And then the second piece to this is the sanctification part. That once a person has received salvation, the free gift of God, by grace, through faith in him as Jesus, uh, in Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? there's this righteousness. In other words, once you are saved, it doesn't mean that you should stop being hungry, that you should stop being thirsty for righteousness. So if you are a follower of Jesus here today, and I know that's the majority of us, there should be a nonstop, never-ending hunger in your life a desire to be more and more like the person of Jesus Christ. An intense, intense, deep drive to be more holy as he is holy. You are thirsting for more of Christ and for more Christ-likeness. You never believe that you have arrived. You never believe that you have enough. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, I pray, he says, that your love may abound yet more and more. See, you're not done. That's what he's saying. No matter how much you love, Christian, you ought to love more. No matter how much you pray, you ought to pray more. No matter how much you obey and follow, you ought to obey and follow more. No matter how much you think you're like Christ or that you think like Christ, you ought to think more like Christ. It's never-ending. We are always being changed, transformed, sanctified. And let me show you something here that's amazing. What we are seeking, what we are uh, to hunger for, isn't just little bits and pieces of righteousness. But rather, what Jesus actually says here is that we are to hunger and thirst for the totality, all of righteousness, and try to stay with me here, okay? You'll get lost if you don't pay attention. I don't want to do too much Greek. I have to here, though, okay? Because <laughs> you can't get the text if you don't see this. In Greek, in conversation, if you were hungry or thirsty, you would literally say this, but I'll, I'll translate it uh, to English. I'll translate English. You'd say this. I hunger for 
of food. It's literally how the sentence would be translated. If you're thirsty, you'd say, I thirst for of water. And the reason you'd say that is to communicate that you want part of something, part of the thing that you desire. So you would never say, I'm hungry for food, or I want food, or I want, or sorry, I'm thirsty for water. You wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say that. Um, because to say it that way would mean that you were hungry for all the world, all the food in the universe that exists. So to say, I'm really thirsty for water means you want like, to, to consume the ocean okay, and all the lakes and the rivers. It's, it's nonsense. Right? You would never talk that way. So you would say, I want a part of water. I want a part of food. So I'm hungry for of food. Does that make sense? So that's the normal way to express yourself in the Greek language. And so when you study this passage here in Matthew chapter 5, you would expect that Jesus would say something like, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after of righteousness. That's the normal expression, but it doesn't say that intentionally. It actually doesn't read as normal Greek expression at all. It's awkward. It literally says hunger and thirst for righteousness, which means you're to hunger and thirst for all of it. All the righteousness in the universe and God's created order that he has designed, you're to hunger for it all. It's a tremendous statement here from Jesus. And so we're never satisfied. Listen, we're never satisfied because no matter how much righteousness you may have obtained by God's grace, you don't have, I don't have all that there is, right? And so the hunger, the hunger and the thirst, it just goes on and on and on. And the good news is that there's always more for God to give. When you want more, he gives you more. So righteousness begins with salvation, but it continues with sanctification. And you could never be satisfied with a part of righteousness. You can only be satisfied with all of it. That's what Jesus teaches us here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for all of righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. And let me briefly uh, talk about that word satisfied here. Um, Other translations I've already said use the word filled. But either way, um, it's a simple meaning. It it means to be absolutely fulfilled. So the the passage fits our series uh, really well. It means to have total contentment, full satisfaction. And so do you see the amazing paradox here in this verse? Jesus says, those that are fulfilled, satisfied, are those who are never satisfied. They are satisfied, but not satisfied. And that keeps them moving towards the things of Christ and his kingdom for as long as God gives us on this earth. I was trying to think of an example of this, like being satisfied but not satisfied. Um, I went through a number of illustrations. I, I, I couldn't think of a better one than this, so take it for what it is. Um, in your mind, try, uh, try to think of maybe you've got one thing, maybe your mom or grandma, maybe another family member that they make, that they cook. It's just 
absolutely, it's nostalgic, it's amazing, special. Try to think of that thing. Maybe I've shared this before, but for me, um, it's my mom's macaroni salad. That's what it is for me. Um, And my mom, she's gracious, she loves me. So every time I fly back, I know, like, I don't have to say anything, I just know. I get in the car, we go back to the place, I know there's going to be a huge bowl waiting for me in the fridge. Always, since I was, since I left home when I was 18. Every time I go back, there's usually, if there's not, there's a problem. All right, that means I did something wrong. Right? It's my mom's macaroni salad. And here's the thing about it. It's just, it's interesting. It's so simple. There's actually not even that many ingredients. I've had all these ones that are like, you know, more gourmet or whatever like that. No, it doesn't compare. Simple, but it's awesome. And I love it. I'm always satisfied. Always, when I eat that macaroni salad. I can eat it for breakfast. I eat it at like 1 a.m. doesn't matter. Some of you, that's like gross. All that mayonnaise or whatever. I love it. I love it. At the same time, though, here's what's interesting. I'm satisfied, but I always want more. I always want more. Actually, I usually, I usually eat it until I'm full. But I never want to stop eating it because it just tastes that good. After years of eating this. It's just that good. I'm so satisfied when I have it, but so unsatisfied at the same time because I want more. Make sense? In a very small way, very small way, that's what it's like with the righteousness of Jesus. We are fulfilled in Christ, totally, completely. And because his righteousness is so sweet, so rich, so beautiful, there's a deep desire to always have more. And again, the good news of the gospel is when we want more and when we seek more of his righteousness, when we seek it, he is gracious to give it to us. Psalm 107 verse 9 says this, he satisfies, he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Isn't that great? And again, we see this fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Or again, as we saw last week, we taught this last week, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Listen, Jesus satisfies. He satisfies. He gives you complete fulfillment. And yet in you, there will always be a blessed dissatisfaction that even wants more and more of who he is and what he has to offer. So Jesus is saying this, kingdom people, people who belong to the kingdom, those that are blessed, have a consuming ambition, not for power, not for pleasure, not for possessions, not for praise, but for righteousness. And the promise for those with this desire with this ambition, is a deep-seated satisfaction. It's absolute fulfillment. Well, now I'll close our time together today by attempting to quickly answer this question. Number three is, how do I know if I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Um, I think that's a a good question to ask. We want to be satisfied. We want total joy. We want fulfillment. We know the answer to find it, but how do we know if we're actually doing this thing? And I listed out like 10 questions. Maybe I'll, I'll share it um, you know, via social media or email or whatever, but I just try to boil it down to two because um, we would go on for a lot longer today. Um, 
the, the, the first one I would ask um, is this. Is, and it won't be on the screen, but the first one I, I think it comes down to is, do you have a, a great appetite for the word of God? And, and I, I wrestled with this one because in some ways it's too simplistic. Um, and if we're not careful, it can be religious. Um, but it really does, it's, it's, it's here. Uh, you can know a person and how hungry they are, how thirsty they are for righteousness, for salvation, uh, by how they approach or how they want to approach or if they approach the word of God. We know that the scriptures actually literally says of itself that it is food. It is food for the, stomach, for the soul. And in God's word, we actually find the righteousness of God. We find it in God's word. We learn how to be with Christ and we learn how to be more like Christ. And you know this, right? You know this to be true. But you've never seen anybody beg a hungry man to eat. You've never seen that happen. Not if there's food in front of them. You don't have to beg a person to eat when they're hungry. And that's one of the reasons why I'm careful here, but you'll, you'll never actually very rarely hear me um, even preach lengthy sermons on trying to convince you to study the word of God. You need to read the Bible more. You, you don't hear me, right? Those of you who've been around, you know, you know, you haven't heard me say that too often because there's a reason for that. That's not because I don't like preaching sermons about the Bible, right? Or that you should read the Bible. You should read the Bible. You should study the Bible. You should be saturated with God's word, memorizing it, meditating on it. But the reason I don't typically go there is because I believe if you truly, if you truly see and know who God is and you are truly following him, seeking his righteousness, naturally, you will have a hunger and thirst for the word of God. Very naturally. I'm convinced that if I can, we can from here, missional families as well, show you the glory and the greatness of God, who he is, all that he is, and that you are convinced of that, then you will naturally be hungry to go learn more about him. So ask yourself, do you have a great appetite for the word? If you believe that Jesus truly is the answer to satisfaction, right? so some of these sermons, especially the last two weeks, can be simple, especially if you've been churched or in the church for a long time. All right, yeah, I get it, right? That's the Beatitudes. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. I already am saved. Right? Or, oh, I'm the bread of life. I've heard that, right? But if you're convinced of that, truly convinced of that, then you would be in the word, as often and as often as you could possibly be, because you know that that's the answer to fulfillment. But yet we go other places, don't we? So that's why we need these reminders. Because the only thing, the only thing, again, that satisfies is the righteousness of God. So, again, do you have a great appetite for the word of God? That will give you insight into whether you are pursuing righteousness. And then, second, um, second, I believe a, a good question to ask ourselves in this is, is my hunger, um, is my thirst unconditional? Is my hunger, or you could say my, my pursuit, is my desire for Jesus, is it unconditional? 
You might remember the story of the rich young ruler. He asked Jesus um, how to enter the kingdom of God. Similar question. He asks him a question that Jesus answers in the Sermon on the Mount. How do you enter the kingdom? He wants joy. He wants satisfaction. He wants fulfillment. He wants life. And so Jesus tells him, okay, you want to come after me? Then sell everything that you have. And then you can follow after me. And what does he say in response? I don't know if it was audible, but his posture tells us he says no. He walks away with shame. You see, he was hungry, but his hunger was conditional. Because of that, he was never filled. And so what is that for you? Jesus and what? Jesus and what else? What's the main thing in your life that hinders you from following him and from finding life in him? Maybe you could think of it this way, be as extreme. If God were to approach you and say, okay, you can only follow me. You could follow me, but I'm going to take away that one thing, that one place, that one person. Deal? Would you do it? Is it conditional? Is your following, is your pursuit of him conditional? What's the main thing that hinders your walk with the Lord? You see, a hungry man or woman doesn't want food and a new suit. A thirsty man doesn't want a drink and a new pair of shoes to be satisfied. And people who follow Jesus only want righteousness, not righteousness and something else. They only want Christ. And they only want to be more like Christ. It's the totality of their hearts. It's their total pursuit. Nothing else matters. Psalm 42, 1-2 says this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. We know that like every other animal in the kingdom, this kingdom, deer need water to survive. But this passage is so much deeper than that. There's a hymn even. You've sung it. I bet a lot of us don't actually know what this text means. I'm about to tell you. The interesting thing about deer, I'm not a deer expert, but I do know this. The interesting thing about deer is that we know a stream means so much more to them than just to have a drink. See, first of all, a stream of water, it means peace for them. It means peace. Deer only stop at the stream and drop their neck and their heads to drink unless they feel that they are perfectly secure and safe. But not only that, did you know that when deer are running, particularly if they're being chased by a predator, they're in danger. Did you know that deer don't sweat? They don't sweat. Um, They pant. Deep and quick breaths. That's how they cool themselves down. But the problem with that is this, that their breath, that panting, 
while it does help to cool them down, it also intensifies their scent, meaning that their panting actually makes them more vulnerable to their enemies. So they're running from their enemies, but then panting and unveiling themselves to their enemies. It makes them easier to track, easier to find. But listen now, listen. When the deer dips its mouth into the stream, especially running stream, into that water, that scent disappears. So it saves them. The stream actually saves them from their enemies. This this stream of water is literally, literally life for a deer. Oftentimes, it's their only path to rescue And I believe that's what the psalmist is getting at here, that the deer is in need. At times, it finds itself in danger, and so it pants. It's desperate. It's passionate for streams of water to find nourishment, to find peace and safety, to live and to have life. And so in the same way, does your soul pant for Jesus Christ? Are you passionate, desperate for the living God, knowing that, yes, you need nourishment, you need peace, you need rescue, but also you need life. And the only way to that fulfillment is through him and through his righteousness. The bottom line, the bottom line today is this. Those who are fulfilled, hunger and thirst, they are desperate for righteousness. They are always hungry, always thirsty for more of the Lord. They can never get enough of Jesus. They find him and know him, but they want more. They follow him, they start living like him, but it's not enough. They want more. They are satisfied in him and with him, but they are never satisfied. So does that describe you today? Does that describe you today? I hope and pray that it does. Let me pray for you.